You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. First of all, I'd like to apologise for my voice. It is 1am, I am in a hotel room, and I have been travelling for many, many hours. So, as you know, last week I did the talk at the Dunfanny Workhouse about the history of Irish storytelling. And this week, uh, I went to Edinburgh, so I was supposed to go to, with a friend. Well, no, that is a barefaced lie. I was supposed to go with a romantic companion. And then they were beset upon by a series of calamities resulting in, you know, a minor surgical procedure and them legally no longer being allowed to fly for a while. Which, you know, dampens one's romantic endeavours somewhat. And so I asked around and then I realised that my social circle is quite small, as it turns out. And so I had asked, like, the two friends I have... Uh, that I would be, like, comfortable spending time with. And then I put a bolo out for, like, the internet because, of course, that's not a clearly stupid way to get muddled. But then there was a Canadian who was visiting Scotland and wasn't really doing anything. And I was like, cool, you can come with me. We'll do stuff, right? Sunday sorted. Because I was going to see Ruben's show. Like, that was the whole purpose of me going. Um, I was supposed to go. And, oh, I should like to say that the romantic companion told me to go to Edinburgh and not um, not cancel. Because like, I would have gone and like spent time with them. If that's what they wanted, I would have just cancelled the whole thing. But they were like, no, no, go. Like you, Everything's paid for. You've done all this. And I would have done most of the stuff alone. But I did book two escape rooms. And, you know, um, I fucking love escape rooms, one. And two, they are very difficult to do by oneself. So... I did what anyone would do and did the bowl over the internet, got someone to go with me. And then they go, romantic companion goes, why didn't you ask women in will? And I'm like, Hannah. I'm like, yes, Hannah. How do you know everybody's names? It's like, because I know my mutual's names. Like, that's a thing you learn. <laughs> like, when you talk to them, like, you talk to your mutuals, right? Like, that's a thing. But um, as far as I knew, Hannah had family visiting from the States. But they had actually all gone back and she was supposed to be babysitting that weekend. 
And so she's like, oh, I'm babysitting. And then like a minute later, wait a minute, I got a message. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get a dog sitter. I was like, cool. So a couple hours later, dog sitter got flights, names are, the names are changed on the flights. And then we are going to Edinburgh and I get a few extra tickets here and there. So yes, I managed to get a spare ticket for Ruben K's sold out show. I'm so fucking proud. Um, this week's episode, by the way, is dedicated to Ruben K and they know why. They know why. Um, I'm actually really excited. I can't wait to go see like their full on show because they're touring Europe and I'm going to go and I am going to force them to become my best friend. <laughs> This is how you get blocked from the socials, Katie. But yeah, um, it was a wonderful, wonderful time in Edinburgh and Hannah and I became wonderful friends to the point that we're now going to make it everybody's problem. Uh, like we kept ending up in these um, accidental romantic situations to the point that we're now going to write a rom-com. So move over Hallmark, we're coming for you. But yeah, and... Uh, and while I was with her, I was like, oh, um, I'm going to see Murder Most Irish um, do their live podcast in September. I think that's the day the shortlist is announced for the Irish Podcast Awards. And so I go on the website and see that the listener's choice is open. And now to a convenient segue. <laughs> if you'd like to vote for me in the listener's choice for the Irish Podcast Awards, link's in the description down below. I'd really appreciate it. Um, you don't have to be from Ireland to enter. You basically have to type in who did what now on the wee link, uh, click me, put in your email address, and then you need to click the link in your email address to confirm your um, your vote, just to make sure people aren't like fake voting and stuff like that, or aren't voting with the same email address several times, you know, that sort of way. So yeah, that's that's how that goes. Yay! Um, but I, I would really appreciate if you'd vote for me. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about your jibber-jabber and fact me. And fact you, I will. But first, we have got to get our source on. Our sources are... Diana, A True Story, in her own words, by Andrew Morton. A Royal Duty, by Paul Burrow. Diana in Private, The Princess Nobody Knows, by Lady Colin Campbell. Diana by Sarah Bradford. Diana in Search of Herself, Portrait of a Troubled Princess by Sally Beddle-Smith. The Diana Chronicles by Tina Brown. Princess Diana by Joanna Matron. Diana in Pursuit of Love by Andrew Morton. Diana Self-Interest and the British National Identity by John A. Taylor. We also have Diana's TV interview, along with contemporary reports from newspapers including The Times, The Daily Record, The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph and, of course, OK Magazine. We also have our old favourites, Biography.com and History.com. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. And let's begin. So, Diana was born, as one would assume, because <laughs> she was. She was born. Um, so, Diana Frances Spencer was born on July 1st, 1961, at Park House in Sandringham in Norfolk. 
So she was born to John Spencer and Francis Spencer, the Viscount and Viscountess Althorpe, respectively. So, things weren't going well for the Viscount and the Viscountess because they had four girls now, or three girls, three girls, Sarah, Jane and Diana. So there was a brother in between Jane and Diana, right? We John. But he passed away. Um, he was only like an infant, so yeah. And this caused a strain in the marriage of the Spencers because of, well, the fucking patriarchy and the monarchal hierarchy, I suppose, right? So himself, he was supposed to be the next Earl Spencer. And because Earldom passes down, you know, the patrilineal line, because it has to go through men in order to, you know, get that Earl title, because there's no Earl-S, that's not a thing. And so they they needed a male heir. And when Diana came along, well, they, they were not too happy. And again, this is a time period where all the blame was still on the women. And, well, how do I put this? Frances was sent to Harvey Street, to the doctors in Harvey Street, to a clinic to see what her problem was that she wasn't producing boys. Even though now we know it's the male, um, or, you know, the XY, which chooses effectively whether it's going to be male or female. Like, that's, that's how it works, right? And eventually they have Charles, and after they have their boy, well, effectively, they're done. Like, she's done her duty, he has his heir, it means that he will now become Earl Spencer when, you know, his father dies. Because you need that male heir, otherwise the title could go to someone else who does have that male heir. Because it's all about lineage. Because apparently, titles and royalty come from the balls. Mmm, the royal testes. Like, it's just so stupid but it is what it is and so it didn't really help either that Francis was not the most maternal of beings and wasn't exactly the most motherly of role models like she just didn't have that sort of maternal way about her and I don't think that's her fault necessarily one because of like the social circle she's from and two You know, this is what happens when women are forced to be mothers and forced into parenthood when they might just not be suited for it. And I know this is going to shock you, gentle listener, but Diana's parents do end up separating and then divorcing. Like, they're done. Now back to Diana for a wee bit. So, Diana is actually born a commoner. Like, she's not noble. Well, I mean, technically, she has no quote-unquote royal blood. So she is both a commoner and an aristocrat. Like, both of those things exist simultaneously. And it sounds like a weird thing to, like, wrap your head around. But she is... Wait, what am I talking about saying she wasn't noble? She was. She was, like, the honourable Diana Frances Spencer. Like, that was her sort of honorific, you know? And the honourable honorific... But yeah, so she's technically a commoner, but also an aristocrat. 
and is noble but not royal. Even though she's like descended from two of King Charles's like descendants. Um King Charles II, who was, you know, you know the Merry Monarch, always shagging it about. So two of his illegitimate children are her ancestors, along with Anne Boleyn, because she's descended from Mary Boleyn. So like she's got like she's got some royal blood in there. She's got some some decent heritage. But all the heritage in the world doesn't change anything when your childhood is absolute shit. Now, we can be like, oh, poor little witch girl. But clearly, enough was going around in her sort of formative years that it led to a fuck ton of trauma. So when she's like six years old, her parents separate. And initially, she goes to stay with her her mum in London. So yeah, she decides Sandringham isn't for her. Yes, like the books. And she goes to stay in London with her mum because she thinks it's just a better option. But I'm not sure if it's because her mother generally wasn't like a decent parent. I mean, it was. But also, I think maybe a little bit of um racism in there because she is dating um Peter Shand Kidd. And so... Over the Christmas holidays, Diana goes back to her dad to spend time at Sandringham for Christmas, which, by the way, is leased from the Queen. Like, Diana spent her childhood playing with Prince Andrew and Prince Edward. Like, their house is leased from the Queen. Like, they were royal adjacent. Like, they knew people. They weren't exactly picking for scraps. But yeah, so she goes home to her dad for Christmas. And he just straight up refuses to send her back to London. And you know that you fucked something up when your mother is on the other side. So, Lord Althorpe, John Spencer, he wins custody of Diana with help from his former mother-in-law. So, he's divorced from Francis. And... He gets, you know, Lady Fermoy, her mother, to be on his team, on his side, and to help him get custody of his children. So, yeah, yeah, you you have to bollocks things up at this point, you know, for this to happen. Now, up until this point as well, Diana is homeschooled. She's got a governess, right? So, she starts off her first couple of years with a governess because... You know, she's a fucking aristocrat. And she gets this. So she's got a governess, Gertrude Allen. And then she goes to a private school in Norfolk. I think it's Sillfield she goes to. And then when she's nine, she goes to an all-girls boarding school. Because that's what posh ladies do. Now, when she's 12, she joins her sisters at their high school, which is the West Heath Girls School. And she she does not do well there. She did things things go badly. She fails her O levels twice, and um, yeah, no, academically not the best thing. But like she does like community stuff and gets like community spirit awards. And it's hard to say whether like she did more things for the community because 
you know, she was trying to do good and put good out there, or whether it was more to do with that she was looking for recognition of some kind. Now, before anybody goes, oh, you're shitting on Diana. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Because if I was, you would fucking know about it. Because you've heard me talk about Winston Churchill, all right? Who, incidentally, she is related to. But the point is, if I wanted to tear someone apart, I would not be so bloody considerate. All right? All right. So, Diana, you know, she does these outwardly things for, you know for the community, for people, for out there. But like at home, they call her Dutch. Not because she's like really into strip waffles or anything or olibolin. No, 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 no. It's because she acts high and mighty. She acts like she's a duchess, like she's out for better things. And that's where that comes from. It's because, I mean, she is the youngest girl. So that, that comes with the territory a wee bit. And again, given her parentage and the manner in which she was raised, you really can't fucking blame her, can you? Like, you can't. And to top it off as well, she's growing up in this era where, although body negativity isn't really, like, outwardly projected, it's still there. It's still nitpicking. It's everywhere, right? So she still has this to deal with as well. And she clearly has unresolved trauma. Now, while she's still at secondary school, at high school, uh, when she's 14, her father becomes Earl Spencer. The eighth Earl of Spencer, actually. And the whole family up sticks and moves. So they leave Sandringham. And they move to Park House. Sorry, that's a lie. They move from Park House to Althorpe which is like the Spencer seat in North Hampshire. He has his title. He moves his family. Now, somewhere during this period, her dad starts seeing Rain. Rain is the Countess of Dartmouth. And yeah, they get married when she's 15. And Diana and Rain, they do not get on, to say the least. And actually, none of the, the Spencer children particularly like Rain. For why? Hymns to say. But at some point, between the age of 15 and 19, I'm not sure when, but at one point, Diana pushes Rain down a flight of stairs. Now, I I don't know, like, what's going on in your life, but at no point should you push a middle-aged lady down some stairs unless you're about to be like grievously harmed in some way or you know but like to just have that as your first option if step one is push a middle-aged lady down a flight of stairs you might want to rethink your steps might want to recalculate that somehow because that feels not to put too fine a point in it a wee bit extreme to be honest so yeah yeah things Things aren't going well. So yeah. He's an Earl. She's got a stepmother. Her evil stepmother. And then, you know, she's in secondary school. And she's dancing and playing music. And she plays the piano, actually. And she's, she's really good at athletic things. So like swimming, diving, tap dance. And 
ballet. And this is going to be important in a wee minute. So she is doing this. And then age 16, she's like, no. Mm -mm. She just leaves West Heath. She's done with it. And it's just not her thing. It's just not really it. And she's looking for something else. But being a lady of breeding, Diana is sent to the Institut Alpin Vidamanet. I would like to apologize because I do not speak Swiss. Swiss? French? Swiss? Italian? Swiss? Whatever language they speak in Switzerland, I don't speak it. So uh, she basically goes to this finishing school and she goes for one term. And yeah, she's she's there for one term and then she leaves um after like Easter in nineteen seventy-eight. And so she goes to work as a nanny for the Whitakers in Hampshire. After which she decides she's heading back to London. And she's staying in one of her mother's abodes, she's sharing a flat or an apartment with two of her pals. And so while she's there, she's doing odd and ends. She's not really doing much right so she's like taking a wee course here and there she's learning to cook and she's doing these wee bitty jobs like low-paying jobs especially for a woman of her you know upbringing and so she's uh she's working as like a preschool assistant she does cleaning for her sister and her pals like she cleans flats and apartments for her sister and her sister's friends and her sister's like, yep, that's definitely a thing for you to do, Dutch. Just because she's like, yeah, make it work. And so she's she's nannying here and she's doing like bits here and there. And she's, she wanted to be a ballerina initially, right? She wanted to dance, but being as tall as she was, that just was never going to happen. She was never going to be a prima ballerina with her height, right? Like Taylor Swift, too tall for ballet. And so she becomes like a dance instructor instead. And so she's supposed to take these exams for her to be a dance instructor, like a proper full-on teacher. But instead of taking the exam, which she was supposed to do, and she was lined up to do, and was all arranged for her, she buggers off to Switzerland. Is it Switzerland? She buggers off somewhere to ski. Um, I don't know, I have a feeling it's Switzerland. So she goes to ski in the Alps, right? And she ends up injuring herself and missing three months of work. And now I know you're like, oh, well, she's 18. You know, she should get doing what she likes. And I'm like, um, here's the thing. Like, when you're 17, 18 at this point, you have to choose your your plan you have to figure out what like what your employment your vocation all this is going to be and they make you choose this at this age we most of us have had to do it um anyone who's old enough to have been to college or been pushed into the workforce or whatever you've had to do like you make these decisions younger you're forced into it one way or the other right because that's just how society is and so she was supposed to take this 
you know, work opportunity, this, which isn't afforded to every fucking person. And she was supposed to do it. But instead, she decides to go skiing with her friends and ends up just dashing this opportunity, like ruining it completely. But anyway, she's clean in flats. She's working as a hostess at parties. And she's um, working as like a nursery assistant, right? And when she's 18, when she is 18, for a birthday present, her mum buys her a flat in Earl's Court. Like, that's... That's pretty good. Because, you know, I mean, not everybody gets a flat, she says, in a cost-of-living crisis where more millennials are living at home than ever and Gen Zers are just pitching tents at this point and boomers are just complaining that we can't buy a house with a shiny penny and an old toothbrush. But here we are. Life is as it is. But yes, I guess we should talk about Charles now for a bit, shouldn't we? Yeah? Yeah. So, at the time, King Charles III was Prince Charles and he had actually been dating Diana's older sister. Now, they had been together and by together I'm fairly certain they were shagging right I'm fairly certain like you I don't recall seeing anything that confirmed it one way or the other but I'm fairly certain they were shagging so Charles at this point he is supposed to pick a wife because this is not a good situation for anybody because he loved Camilla Parker Bowles before she was Parker Bowles so he loved her one she was Catholic. Two, she was not a virgin. These two things, not really, not really agreed upon for the future monarch. And as such, the Queen Mother at the time uh, basically forced a wedge between them, ensured that Camilla got married and that Charles was sent away to basically ensure that everything went smoothly, right? And so she was an absolute weak turnipy bitch like um, I will do the queen mother one day I will talk about her you want to hear me rail about someone let me tell you about the queen mother because she was an arse but yes yes um where was I stupid ADHD get back on track so yeah he was shagging Sarah but at this point he's supposed to be um he's supposed to be looking for a wife at this point because he is the heir apparent he is the future monarch of the country he needs to settle down and start popping out puppies like that is the royal agenda the firm have said computer says yes so he ends up meeting her like i think uh like in passing but nothing really noticeable right but then it's a couple years before they actually meet like properly properly like, he's, he meets her in passing when he's, you know, shagging her sister. But he doesn't really, he doesn't really pay much attention to her because she's very young at that point. But when they are both in, like, they're both invited to this country weekend and she's 19 and he's much older. And he starts paying attention to her because she she pays attention to him 
in a way that other people don't. And it's, I don't know if it's youth, I don't know if it's because she's a 19-year-old virgin, I don't know if it's because she has conditioned herself to fawn and to and to show a certain amount of endearment and respect, like an ingenue, to try and get this affection and attention that she so missed out on in childhood. But that's just a theory. And I think she presented herself in a way in order to obtain that. Now, whether that's right or wrong, we're not going to say. That's not our business at this point. Because as long as it's not harming anybody, it's not an issue, right? And so they start spending time together. Like he invites her aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia and then she gets invited to Balmoral and I think they only see each other like a few times before they're married and like what initially made her stand out to him is because she actually you know wanted to discuss and you know give her condolences for Lord Mountbatten who he was really really close to and that's not something people did in his circle and I think the novelty of it really made him pay attention to her. But yeah, she gets to Balmoral and this is like a test because if you can handle the royal family at Balmoral, you can basically handle anything, right? Like that's the whole, the whole shindig, right? So they get there and turns out everybody fucking loves her. They think she's just right. They think she's shy enough and naive enough and young enough to like be malleable, to be the person that they need her to be and they think she's just right. You know, and then some people just think she's genuinely quite nice. Like, Prince Philip actually quite liked her. He thought she was fun, right? Because she wasn't like a stuffy, fuddy daddy like most of the royals, right? And so he was thinking, yes. Oh, and at this point, she's Lady Diana Spencer because she got the title of Lady once her dad got the earldom, right? So also like this. But yeah, so things are going well. Everybody loves her. Now, on February... It's February 1981 and they've seen each other like 12, 13 times over the whole period of this courtship, right? And the press are aware that this relationship is happening. And so Diana is getting hounded. She's got paparazzi hounding her. Her photograph is being taken everywhere. Like, People are following her because she is just the juiciest piece of gossip people haven't had in a long time. And so she's there and people are like getting the Diana haircut and they're obsessing over this. And like she's being followed around so much that she's driving her car and she literally just bursts into tears at the wheel because she's so tired and exhausted and upset about being followed by the press. But yeah, February 1981, skip forward. They propose, he proposes to her. Um, and it's like the sixth. It's the sixth. So he proposes to her at Windsor Castle and then she picks an engagement ring. Like she says out of a magazine, right? It's, yeah, she, it's basically they bring her these pictures of rings and she's like, I want that one. And that's how it is, right? But they keep their relationship secret for so many... I say relationship. They keep the engagement secret for a couple of weeks because um, 
the formal engagement needs to be announced by the palace, there's royal protocol. So she ends up leaving her job as a nursery assistant, moves out of her flat, moves into Clarence's house, which is actually the home of the wee, wee spiteful turnip, the Queen Mother. So after she stays there, she moves into Buckingham Palace until the wedding, which is really fucking lonely, right? Because Prince Charles, he is buggered off. He's away to, I think it's Australia for this um, trip. But oh my God, no, I forgot the most important part. OMG, okay. So they do their formal announcement of the engagement. The press is there and they're like, oh, it's good to see that you're in love. And Prince Charles famously or infamously, nope, infamously says, whatever love means. Like, I don't know who you are. Or how, like, hard-hearted you are. But that's going to be a fucking kick in the teeth. That's going to make that awful, sucking, sort of drop-down, punched-in-the-gut feeling, like, right there. Like, no matter what, no matter what you feel about that person specifically, you know, that's got to hurt. But yeah, so he has gone away to... Australia and New Zealand for just over a month and um, Diana is crying at the airport because not because he's leaving because he took a call with Camilla. Now Camilla tries to spend some time with her and she tries to tell her about Prince Charles and about the way of things because nobody nobody thought at any point we should give this girl some training. We should explain to her what is expected of her. We should give her sort of royal etiquette training and this, that and the other. We should let her be prepared for the life that she is jumping into. Because nobody did. Nobody sat down. Nobody thought to break it down for her in any way. And this, joining the royal family is more than just bowing and showing up at events and waving. It is, it's a fucking duty. Like, when you're a member of the royal family, like, that's how it's seen. It's your job, right? You have things you have to do. Like, it's expected. You're for the country, right? You belong to the country. Your life isn't your own anymore. And nobody thought to tell this 19-year-old girl that. And it fucking pisses me off. But anyway, she's in Buckingham Palace you cannot open the curtains past a certain point. Otherwise, people can see in. So there's all these rules and regulations and she's in a fucking separate wing and she's stuck. And no wonder, no wonder she is upset. And she has to get ready for this wedding that everyone is obsessed with because people are obsessed with her. Now, you look at Princess Diana now, right? And you look at her... And you think, wow, she's a perfectly acceptable lady, right? Back then, the people saw her as absolutely stunningly, gorgeously beautiful. And the reason being was, when you look at the royals, now, I don't want to throw around terms like horse face, but, but though, the royals do look like, you know, they were bred in a stable sometimes. And, you know, I think it's the inbreeding, maybe. 
because there's a lot of that incest going along. People are marrying cousins and whatnot. Like, your family tree should not be a wreath. It's all I'm saying. I just feel like, as a general rule, let's not do that. It's also why I do not take people in my county, because I am related to too many people. Like, I was like, no, 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 as far away as possible. Thank you. So, the royal wedding is approaching and Diana is getting this ridiculous, massive wedding dress made. It's the big princess dress that everyone is obsessed with. And it's by Elizabeth and David Emmanuel. But, this dress isn't the only dress they made. They made a second dress that was completely different to the first, right? It's slimline, it was a very different look. And it was just in case, somehow, some way, this dress got leaked to the press. So because they don't want that happening, they were like, yes, let's not do that. So this big princess dress, like, it's very much like the Cinderella dress or the aerial wedding dress. It's poofy and massive and very 1980s. It's huge. And so it starts a trend of, like, massive, massive wedding dresses. Like, the bigger, the better. It is just absolutely ginormous and so she's getting close to the wedding and she's having doubts and she wants to call it off especially after she finds um she finds this bracelet made for Camilla by Charles and he's like you can't make me give her up I can't lose her like they're not physical at this point like they're not and it's just like anybody in the situation not not Charles and Diana not Charles and Camilla like at this point nobody's knocking boots but still emotional affairs suck balls so let's not do that so she wants to call off the wedding and her sisters are telling her you can't fucking do this it's too late like you will tarnish your reputation if you call this off everything will be fucked up. You'll ruin our lives and everyone we know if you do this. So she basically has no choice to go through with the wedding. And it is just the biggest deal. So it gets held at St. Paul's Cathedral, even though most um, like royal weddings, they would happen at Westminster Abbey. But St. Paul's Cathedral can hold more people. And this is a huge event. They want everyone who's everyone to be there. And so it's televised. Everything is amazing. And my favourite thing happens, well, two things happen. One, she doesn't say obey and the love honour and obey because the couple are like, let's not do that. That's a bit much. Can I respect the two of them for that? You gotta. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. 
Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. But, but she also gets his, like, middle names mixed up. So, um, it's supposed to be Charles Philip Arthur George, but she says Philip Charles Arthur George. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was funny. So, like, the streets are lined with people. There's, like, 600,000 people there. And, like, there's 750 million people watching. Like, this is unprecedented. This is huge. This is the world watching this royal wedding. And it is known as the fairy tale wedding. It is the wedding upon which all weddings are based. Like, for, like, decades, it is just so, just... It's in the social, the cultural sort of memory. It's the biggest thing. So when she marries, uh, she gains the title Princess of Wales. So she becomes Her Royal Highness, the Princess of Wales. She also becomes the Duchess of Rothesay, the Baroness of Renfrew, Duchess of Cornwall and Countess of Chester. So because she married into royalty, but isn't a a child of the monarchy right she is diana princess of wales not princess diana if she was to be called princess like as at the beginning she's technically princess charles just because of the way like monarchy titles work right so yeah um even though she's like collectively known as princess di yeah she's not actually Princess Diana has to go after her name and not before it. Or we can just call her Princess Diana just to annoy the staunch monarchists. Like, I love royals as a as a history sort of lover because they're so fascinating. Like, even as a sociologist, right? Just the concept and the social sort of rules and regulations and everything within that little sort of ecosystem it's fucking fascinating i mean do i wish that you know more money was afforded to i don't know resolving homelessness for example yeah maybe might be an idea but anyway back to diana so pretty sharpish after they get married they start trying for an heir and it works because she is pregnant by November. So they're staying in like Kensington Palace and Highgrove House. Like that's their royal sort of residences. And so they're there and they're working on making an heir, right? 
Now, Diana, because she's so beloved by the press, you know, what goes up must come down. So she's going to see the theatre one night and she falls asleep and this gets caught on camera and people are going absolutely nuts about it because she's disrespectful. She's not performing as she should as like a future monarch, yada, yada, yada. But Diana's pregnant and obviously due to plural protocol, it can't be announced yet. So she could has to deal with this harassment from the press. But then on the 5th of November, 1981, the pregnancy is announced. Yay! And basically, a few weeks later, in January of 82, she's like 12 weeks in, so she's right at that cusp, right, of starting to show. And Diana is in Sandringham. And she is dealing with so much like internal stress like and depression actually now we can she said that she felt so inadequate but I think between the press hounding her and the lack of affection from her husband and the fact that she clearly had some deep-rooted mental health issues which were not being addressed plus pregnancy hormones kind of buckled things up for her a wee bit and she ends up throwing herself down some stairs. Now she clearly has a thing about stairs. Pushes one lady down one, throws herself down another. Now luckily she only ends up with some bruising. And the royal gynaecologist, Sir George Pinker, he is like toot sweet heading out from London. Like boom, 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 boom. He's there. Like luckily everything's fine. Fetus, no deletus. Everything's good. But, you know, she did throw herself down some stairs. Maybe suggest some therapy? Apparently no. Apparently not the done thing. So, 21st of June 1982, Diana gives birth to the heir to the throne, Prince William. Now, she has to do this little photo outside the hospital because she's supposed to give birth inside like one of the palaces or one of the royal residences or whatever and she's like no 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 please bring me to a hospital I would very much appreciate medicine and doctors and you know lower risk of shit happening and so medical professionals very much enjoy that and you know a medical setting just just as a thing and so she she does and this has led to basically all of these photos of royal babies outside the hospital. And like, she's just given birth, right? She's had to have her hair and makeup done. Her stomach has probably been strapped in. You know, she's probably wearing a fucking nappy because she's still bleeding. Because you bleed for a long time. And, you know, it's it's pain, Lots and lots of pain, but you can't give her enough, like, painkillers because you'll see that in her eyes and the press will see it. So, that's right, put on some heels, strap yourself in, and just show yourself to the world. Like, that's, that's a completely healthy thing to expect of, you know, a postpartum body. Absolutely. That was sarcasm, if you couldn't tell. So... 
she is suffering from postpartum depression, postnatal depression. She is, she's just not doing well, like not at all. And she is trying to figure out just anything, any sort of moment of happiness. So the problem with being in the royal family is one, it's really fucking lonely. And two, you've got nothing to do. Like you have like certain duties and stuff. And Diana, it's all like royal engagements and seeing the trips and doing this stuff. But she wants to do more. Like she... It's a double-edged blade with this one and I'm going to get shit for it and I'm going to get shit for it. But Diana courted the press and everything she did... Well, not everything she did. There was always an element of her being the centre of attention. Like there was always a part of it where she's being shown to be the good person because like two things can be true at once like she can want to provide love and consideration and compassion to people who are often denied it and also want to be recognized for that to be acknowledged for that do you have that affection and empathy reciprocated like it's okay for both things to happen. It's okay for two things to be true at once. And Diana courted the press. She did, and we know she did, and she performed for them. And honestly, I don't care if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, as long as you're doing the right thing. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't matter why you're doing it, but I think sometimes the end result is more important than, you know, the manner in which you got there. Now, there are certain forms of childhood cancer which have been cured because we've done tests on rats. Like, we have deliberately chosen to hurt animals in order to save children's lives. And I think, okay, cool, yeah, the lesser of two evils. So if someone does something that might not necessarily be, you know, for the best reason, but they're saving lives, they're helping people, which is what? Diana did. So she might have wanted the attention and wanted this back at her. You know, I mean, but part of her, at least, wanted to do good. Another part of her wanted the attention. And I don't think that's necessarily a wrong thing, but I think it's something we have to acknowledge and accept. But I think she did amazing things. You know, when she when she was hugging AIDS patients, when she showed that, you know, they weren't dangerous, when she visited a leprosy colony, because people have a very, um, how do I put this, incorrect view of how leprosy works, because I've said it before, but leprosy is a very slow-moving disease. It is very difficult to get leprosy. And then it is very, like, I don't know, it's a very long time before the signs of leprosy start to show. So you have a long time to sort of cure or sort of prevent leprosy from happening. You know, it's not really a huge risk, you know. But yeah, so she's she's visiting um, like children in South Africa and, you know, troops who've been injured and all of this wonderful stuff. But again... 
And for all of these acts and everything she does, she is known as the people's princess. She gets labelled it. And so she wants it. And she keeps chasing it. And she has to go do these royal tours. Because she's royal now. She has duties. Her maternity leave is over. She has to do what she needs to do. And so off she goes. She's supposed to go to Australia and New Zealand with Charles, right? And so, 1983, they're doing this tour. And she brings William with her. And she gets caught on camera crying. She's in tears because everywhere they go, everywhere they are, all eyes are on her. Like, she is being watched. She is being the centre of attention. Like, people care more about her than they do about Charles and that bothers him. So, there's this extra strain on their marriage. She's still suffering postpartum because your brain and your hormones, it takes several years for them to get back into any sort of, like, I want, like, normal alignment or what they should be, you know? And she is suffering from bulimia because, you know, she has to look a certain way. And she is struggling. All of this is just building and building and building. And she's struggling. But of course, she's from a family of stiff upper lip, which she has now. I mean, she probably was before as well. So like therapy, again, not a done thing. How about maybe we just send people to therapy? I feel like could solve a lot of issues. So yeah, this, this popularity, Diana's popularity, just creates this wedge in the relationship between Charles and Diana. But not so much of a wedge that they don't have sex. So... In 1984, so the following year, Prince Harry is born, 15th of September, and again, they do the whole photo, it's a big thing. Now, Charles and Diana, they're actually really close during this pregnancy. Now, she actually knows the the gender, she finds that out, she finds that out, but she doesn't tell anybody, because she's like secretly hoping it's going to be a girl, but it's not, it's a boy. And so they're really close and everything is going really well. And then after she gives birth, Charles comes in to, you know, the delivery room or wherever she says, the, the, the royal, I don't know, the hospital room that she's in, the private room. And he basically goes, great, an heir and a spare. Like, done. And this crushes her like they had been so close things were going really well and now they're just she's broken and it's it's just I mean being in this sort of situation when you're isolated from so many things and so many people that it just and then to just give birth and to have your husband say that to you, I mean, that's fucking soul-destroying. It's absolutely crushing. Like, what is this? But Diana, Diana is, if nothing else, like, she wants to be a good mother. Like, she wants this. 
So she basically takes control when it comes to the boys. It's probably the only thing in her life she has control over. So like she dismisses the royal nanny. She picks her own nanny. She takes them to school as much as she can. And she arranges her royal engagements around like them. Around their school timetables. All this stuff like that. So that's what she does. And then she is very aware that Charles is having an affair. With him initially, mm, but she, I mean, it's Camilla, we know it's Camilla, but she knows that something's going on, but initially she doesn't know him. Now, in Camilla's defence, and I hate to say this for once, but everyone says that Camilla broke up their marriage, and I feel like this takes all the ownership away from Philip, not Philip, Charles, but Charles entered her marriage, right? before she entered his like that's something we need to take into consideration like they were stupid before sort of between him like finding diana and after her getting married there was stuff going on right so he entered her marriage first so i think charles is the main issue here right and this is royalty like this is their way of doing it right and I'm not saying it's right for anybody comes to me, right? But Diana was never trained to this. And nobody thought to, like, do anything. But it got to the point where they couldn't even pretend to be amicable. Like, he starts having his affair. And then, like, by 1986... Diana starts dating Major James Hewitt. I say dating. I mean, he would have her, well, she would have him snuck in, like, in the bit of a car so they could shack. Like, so that was their former riding instructor. And, um, and, like, people always say that, like, Prince Harry looks like James Hewitt, but, like, Prince Harry looks like Prince Philip. Like, you look at those two with beards. Like, that's, those are related, right? And, and so she's shagging him. And then, like, their affair ends. So this affair lasted until 1990. But it was in 1989 that Diana hosts, like, this birthday party for Camilla's sister. And just corners her and demands to know the truth about the affair. And the beads are spilled, right? So this affair ends with Hewitt in 1990 and basically straight away he tries to shop it to like the tabloids but nobody is picking it up. Like nobody. And it's not until like 1994 that anybody bothers to pay attention to it. But yeah, by the time the 90s are coming around, the um, the Queen and Prince Philip try to get Diana and Charles to reconcile. They're just like, can you both just like shag who you want, do it privately, but have this like forward face, just be a face of the monarchy, just be there for your kids, do this, whatever. And yeah, they they, they try, but effectively, you know, it gets announced by the parliament that they are getting divorced. Well, they're separating and then divorcing. And then a book is released with all this information about Diana's, you know, depression, her suicidal thoughts, 
you know, the extramarital affairs, all the stuff that's happening in their marriage. And now we don't find out until after Diana passes away, but she was involved. She did these recordings. She recorded these conversations. Now, we're not entirely sure whether she knew she was doing it or whether this was like a hidden recording situation, but she, this is, she, she said it. It was from the horse's mouth. But yeah, that's that's not good for anybody. So Diana starts doing interviews and then Charles starts doing interviews because he's trying to back up like all of these phone conversations are being released, which is the whole, you know, I'm wanting to be Camilla's tampon situation. And yes, I just remembered it and therefore you must also be burdened with this horrific knowledge. So they are having affairs, they are separating, they are here now. And so Diana getting a bit a bit much for a lot of people because because she definitely needs therapy and or medication so she is seeing all of her whores for a while or at least she believes she's seeing all of her whores for a while and so she starts harassing his wife so she enters his marriage now now i feel like we maybe we maybe should be a wee bit more careful now, because at this point, like she's already had affairs, people. She's been seeing this person, that person, but now she's now she's deliberately dating married men, which you know is a life choice. But you know what else is a life choice? Phoning someone's wife three hundred times over three hundred times. The police start investigating. And they realise that these phone calls, these harassing phone calls that this woman is getting are coming from Princess Diana's residence. Like, she's doing this. Like, it's obsessive. That's not what healthy people do. I actually forgot this, actually. This was an interview with her sister who says that at one point, Diana was so desperate for Charles to just see her, to acknowledge her, that she grabs a letter opener and cuts herself in her chest, right? Because she wears a top that her sister Sarah can see and she's like, Dutch, what the actual fuck? And she explains that she did it and he just walked away. Now, I don't want to be on Prince Charles' side for anything. That being said. But you know when they say to you if your significant other, your partner, your relationship person... If they threaten or harm themselves in front of you, you should walk away. Like that is, that is a manipulation tactic. That is a way to force you into bending to their will. Like that is not something sane people do. Like, like this is a woman who clearly needed help, like on many levels, because you don't just stab yourself attention like that is not a reasonable act like clearly clearly this is a person who needs needs help and I'm not saying that justifies her behavior because I really think it doesn't because I think there comes a point where it's learned behavior and you're doing things for attention like Diana Diana is courting the press like she is because they're the only people giving her the attention she needs. So I've had people argue with me about Diana, like here, there and everywhere, about like 
walking through minefields and doing things for aid patients, holding their hands and whatnot. Which I'm not denying. Very good photo ops. Very good thing to do. But they're photo ops, right? Because there's no way that this woman would have done any of those things if it was unsafe. Like those, those would have had sweeps done. She would have had medical professionals, you know, assuring her like that the disease is passed through blood, right? She removed a stigma. Yes, absolutely. Not going to deny that. But it wasn't altruistic. And I, I wish it was, but everything has led up to it. Like the reason she did the big TV interview was so people would listen to her. And not just to believe her, but because she wanted the sympathy. She wanted to win. The way that she looks down and looks up through her eyelashes, it's rehearsed. Like everything about it is a performance. Back to the, the, you know, the aid work and stuff. Like, the royal family was fucking pissed. Because she was doing something and showing compassion. Which is something the royal family weren't very good at. Like, they always delayed their responses. But she was out doing things. Which really stuck it to them. And I think there was a wee bit of spite there. And I feel like she was fine with that. But one thing we know for sure about Diana is she loved her boys. She loved them. She wouldn't risk them. If she thought that there was a chance that she would not live to be with her children, like that's not a line she would cross. Like she was sure. Again, I am not, like, I'm not denouncing the stuff she did, right? But I think we have to understand that people are multifaceted and sometimes they don't do things just for the greater good no matter how much we want them to. And good people can do shitty things and shitty people can do good things. And sometimes people can be good, but also still a little bit shitty. And we're just gonna have to accept that as part of life. Like, she's not a fucking angel, okay? She's not a martyr. She's not glowing beacon of, I don't know, idolatry. No, no, she was a human and she did stuff, right? Like everybody else to talk about. Just a human who did stuff. But yeah, you know, she can hold an AIDS patient's hand. But she can also harass somebody's wife, right? The man she's having an affair with or had an affair with, not only did she enter their marriage, but now she's deliberately harassing his wife. And she pushed a woman down some stairs. And like Diana and the Taj Mahal. So, okay, one last thing about the relationship with Charles. Um, so he had always said he would bring like his wife, the love of his life, to the Taj Mahal. So if you don't know, the Taj Mahal was built as a shrine to like this dude's like favourite wife. I feel like maybe treat her better when she's alive and not just build a monument to her when she's dead, because that does not seem like the greatest act of love to me. I'm just saying, just putting it out there. Treat them well when they're loving. But yeah, Diana ends up in front of the Taj Mahal and she gets her photo taken as she sits alone in front of it. Which again, to me, feels like a very deliberate move. I'm just saying. So, but again, 
People are multifaceted. So she does this panorama interview and talks about the affairs and everything else. There were always three of us in this marriage, so on and so forth. And that's the point where Liz, Queen Liz, Lily, but she's like, mate, Charles, Diana, get a fucking divorce. Like, you were causing too much upset for the royal family here. You need to get a divorce. Like, done. End of. Finished. And so, yes, they have to get a divorce. This is like my least funny episode I think I've done just because there's so much mental health issues in it. And I just realised that. And I'm sorry. But like, oh, this is, this is not a funny episode. Oh, jeez. But yeah, yeah. And so, 1996, they get divorced. And Diana gets a pretty sweet settlement, right? She basically retains custody. Like, she could lose custody of the boys if she, you know, if they pushed. She didn't. She gets, like, this massive money settlement. She gets, like, just she's rich. She's, like, super rich. She's, like, extra super rich. She's fine. She has her own, like, like floor at Kensington Palace because that's where their, like, nursery is and stuff. So she gets that. Like, she gets all of this stuff in the divorce. And... During this time as well, I think she's dating, or she's trying to date at least, this um, Dr. Hasnett Khan, and they're together, and she, she loves him. But whether the relationship is physical or not, not sure. But she really adores this man, and things just don't work out for them. Just, just doesn't. Because she is... Diana, Princess of Wales, and she is, I mean, she's one of the most photographed women on the planet, and he doesn't want this big public life. He just wants to be a lung surgeon, you know, and just save people and do the surgeries and live his life. He doesn't want it on display. Oh my gods, I almost forgot to mention the revenge dress. Okay, so, in 1994, there's this tell-all documentary coming out by Prince Charles. It's meant to be like his, um, his, how do I put it, um, his side of the story, to be more sympathetic to, like, him. And Diana, that very night, decides she's going to go to a Vanity Fair party. And so she shows up, and she's wearing this dress, and she's supposed to wear Chanel, but she refuses to wear Chanel because of the interlocking seats, right, for Charles and Camilla. And so... She is supposed to be wearing, like, this collar on this dress. It's supposed to be a little bit more covered up. But she rips it out of the dress, right? And so it's this black, slinky, just gorgeous piece. And she shows up. She's photographed in it. Because everyone knows this documentary is coming out, right? And there she is, showing up. She is fit. She is stylish. She is a fashion icon, which she was, which I have rarely spoken about in this entire episode, but there's so much information. Ah, but yeah, she is just killing it. After this, Diana starts dating Dodi Al-Fayed, and they have, they have a, a decent relationship, but she's planning on ending things. And I have brought this up on more than one occasion, but like, I, I go into detail, into great depth. Um, there's an episode on the Paris crash in the podcast. Uh, I can't remember what episode it is, but it's there. And she wasn't supposed to spend time with Dodie. 
Like, they weren't supposed to be anywhere. She wasn't supposed to be on his yacht. They weren't supposed to stop off in Paris. Like, it was all last minute and it was all Dory's idea. Like, it wasn't anything to do with her because she was always planning to get back to England because the boys were about to start school. And she was always planning on going back. And she was supposed to hang out with a friend, but a friend broke her leg. And then they did on a skiing trip, actually. So, hmm, full circle. But yeah, this, this wasn't supposed to happen. And, you know, she was in England. And she, you know, known for stairs. I feel like if the royal family wanted to end her life, there were easier ways to do it. You know, she walked through minefields. She fell down a flight of stairs. You know, many options. Many reasonable and feasible options. But instead, people have this great public conspiracy. But no, it's not. That's not it. It's just... And I know people like to bring up the fact that she wrote in her diary that she thought her husband would kill her in a car crash. But I don't know if you know the 90s very well, but that was like a common trope. Like, the husband who cut the brake lines. Like, that was a common trope in, like, TV shows, movies, books. Like, it was everywhere. I'm pretty sure I saw an episode of Murder she wrote with it. And, like... So, like, during her life as a royal... There wasn't a lot to do. Like, there is not a lot to do, you know? There aren't options. You can't get a job because, you know, you're part of the crown. So she starts getting involved in these charities. Now, there is this wee rumour, and I find this quite interesting, and it's that Diana, she started this affair with Dory anyway just to... just to rile up Dr Khan. Like, she wanted... To sort of fan the flames a wee bit and be like, look what you're missing. And then that's what that's about. She wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't supposed to happen. Like, none of it makes any sense. But tragedy really does. And on the 31st of August, 1997, Diana, Princess of Wales, loses her life in Paris after a tragic accidental car accident. I say accidental manslaughter by paparazzi if the blame is going to go on to anyone if you want to know more details about the crash and things like that there i have a full episode on it i am not going to go into that here it's too much it's too much and so that's the end of the story of diana princess of wales whose legacy now lives on through her charities her children and of course Ruben Kay's hairstyle. Now, if you uh, don't want to burn me at the stake after this episode, feel free to rate and review five stars. I'm going to have so many one-star reviews. I can just sense it in my bones. Oh, dear Lord. I can feel it. Ah, <laughs> Oh, okay. But um, I also want to tell anybody, if you need help, if you feel that you are either being, like emotionally abused or if you feel you might be acting in those ways or you're feeling these dark thoughts please please talk to someone even if you have to dm me and i am not a licensed professional and i am mainly sarcasm and terrible memes like i have no other skills apart from telling you weird history facts but um the samaritans um uh 
oh goodness crisis just there are so many charities and and hotlines to talk to I would absolutely just reach out okay you deserve to not be treated or feel this way and so it is recommendation time I guess okay so for reading I am gonna suggest The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher watching I'm gonna suggest you watch How to Catch a Thief starring Grace Kelly Princess of Monaco and for listening and for listening I'm gonna recommend Amanda Mata's podcast The Art of History and with that I am very tired it is Oh, wow, that is morning time now. Okay, I am going to bid you good night. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye.